0: Coming up on today's episode: snakes, parenting, and the influential mind. That and much more coming up right after the break. Hey everybody! We know one of the uh, one of the things that you would think would be a really really good thing about having a busy thriving therapy practice is uh, that you have a lot of people that want to see you. But can I tell you, as a therapist with a a, a very busy thriving practice? that part is it can be overwhelming because you get into the profession because you want to help everybody but you can't you you can't help everybody and so that's why i have partnered with the folks at betterhelp.com again that's b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p.com slash virtual couch betterhelp.com is the world's largest e-counseling program and their mission and they're doing a great job of it is to make professional counseling accessible affordable and convenient so that anybody who struggles with any of life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. And again, that, uh, if you go to betterhelpcom help.com slash virtual couch there, there is a special offer. You can get, um, 10% off of the cost of your first month's counseling. So again, that's betterhelpcom help.com slash virtual couch. And, uh, I'll, okay, let's go off the script here. Um, I've been checking BetterHelp out a lot. They, there is so much documentation there. It's incredible. If you go to read the reviews, uh, I had this little moment where I was reading a lot of reviews and it was people that do spe- specific types of counseling, there's some trauma counseling, there's some things like that. And there's things that I know a fair amount about. And if somebody came to see me about the topic, I would feel pretty confident in, uh, in helping the person, but man, BetterHelp.com has some therapists that are very, very specialized. And, uh, and so it's, just, it's an incredibly broad range of expertise in their counselor network. And, 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 the truth is you might not have that expertise available in your area, and this is available for people worldwide. You, you can log into your account anytime. You can send messages to your therapist, and the assessment is what I've done. They gave me a, an account, and so I am going through the assessment right now. I'm going to talk to somebody. Maybe I can talk to them about what it's like to try to um, you know, balance a busy practice with a lot of people that are sending very nice emails but who want to be seen. Um, but I'm doing this assessment, and the assessment tools are pretty, uh, pretty impressive. And so they they assess your needs, they match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. I True story, today I had to reply back to somebody and first tell them that I was full, and uh, they said, no, really, I, you know, I'll wait, and, and I didn't even want to tell them like, how long the wait is. So um, betterhelp.com, I think they have its uh, 4,000 therapists or 4,500 therapists access to, so you can get in and see somebody pretty quick. But go check out the reviews, betterhelp.com slash reviews, and again, go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, that's betterhelp.com, and join uh, Join over 500,000 people that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And, and I'll leave you right here. Special offer for Virtual Couch listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. And one more quick thing, the, the price um for therapy it, it actually really is i had a couple of people email me after i did the big intro before episode 140 and it is it's a little more affordable than uh than some, than a lot of traditional therapy um and again it's licensed professional therapist so betterhelp.com slash virtual couch um if you if you just are thinking about going to therapy go check it out and uh let's get on with the show Everybody, thank you for tuning in to episode 144 of the Virtual Couch. I'm your host Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of turning to pornography as a coping mechanism, a habitual pattern. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a healthy. Cup filling, strength based, hold the shame way. Please head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction again. That's pathbackrecovery.com. And please take a minute to visit the Virtual Couch on Instagram at virtualcouch. A lot of activity there the last couple of days. I'll talk about that in a second. And you can now find a Virtual Couch page on Facebook. There's always Tony Overbay uh, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page on Facebook as well. And last but not least, please stop by TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out about a lot of really exciting programs and things that are coming soon. So let's get to today's episode. for joining me today on the virtual couch. And I really mean that I'm being very sincere because I know every day I get this uh, update called the pod news. And if you're if you're a fan of podcasting at all, it's really it's a free newsletter that you can get. Um, I think it's pod news dot dot IO or something like that. But you sign up, you get daily pod news, and the the amount of podcasts that are that are launching on a daily basis is is pretty overwhelming. Um, I think last count was seven hundred fifty thousand, going up somewhere to eight hundred thousand. So I know that there is a ton of content. So I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the virtual couch, and I do keep that in mind. I try to I try to put a lot of time and thought and effort and energy into each and every episode. And uh, speaking of podcasts, I would I would highly recommend. Um, a friend of mine, Rachel Nielsen, who has a podcast called 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, you don't even have to be a mom to listen. And as a matter of fact, I, I would think I was her first male guest, which was kind of fun. And I've been on that show a couple times, but she re-ran an episode this week called How to Earn and Keep Your Teens Trust. And, uh, and I do not like listening to myself. But uh, I did kind of listen because she gave a little teaser that at some point in the episode she was gonna do a little behind the scenes an outtake from our episode, which by the way is hilarious. so I highly recommend listening to it even for that. Hilarious, that sounds uh, ego um, maniacal by me, but it's she kind of just does a little bit of behind the scenes how podcasts work and it's just a very funny concept once you hear it. So but if you if you're up for it, go take a look at uh, Rachel Nielsen's three and30 takeaways for Moms. It's episode 91. How to earn and keep your teens' trust, and uh, we just talk about a lot of uh, a lot of good things that I think would help any parent. And we actually, I mean, I'm talking about emotionally focused therapy, EFT and how to use that with your teen. But again, if you've heard any of my podcasts, EFT works everywhere. I mean, it works, um, it works, uh, in corporate environments. It works in the school setting. It works with your kids and it primarily, or in my opinion, it does miracles with your, with your relationship with your spouse. So I highly recommend you going over and checking that out. I was also going to talk about, uh, I know now maybe you're hearing a lot of the BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch ads. You probably heard one right before this episode started. And, uh, I And, boy, I, I, I am becoming extremely passionate. I'm not going to do another ad right now, but uh, part of what I saw this morning on the pod news was it was talking about the number one advertisers in podcasting and BetterHelp has rose to the top. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's just because of a brute force of, um, you know, the amount of uh, – Material they're getting out there, or the amount of advertisements they're getting out there on podcast. Um, I'm hearing amazing things. I mean, so I again, I am a, I am such a fan of therapy. That sounds so dumb. I'm a therapist, for Pete's sake. Um, I'm a very big advocate of therapy. But again, I know the process can be scary. And I still, I mean, I'm a I, I love when people come into my office. But I've been doing more and more teletherapy and uh, more and more um, you know things over the internet. And that's exactly what BetterHelp does. And so I think we I think they've just they're onto something. And so, if you can't find a therapist in your area, or if you're really looking for a special a specialty, and uh, and it's not available in your area, then I really do recommend you to check out BetterHelp.com. And if you're there, please uh, betterhelpcom slash Couch, and you you do get uh, 10% off of your first month's um, services. But uh, let me get you a quick story before I get to today's topic. And, I, and I, I preface this by saying I love my office. I love where it's at. It's not too far away from my house. It's in a cool little business park. Um, got a couple of windows I can see outside. I just really like it. It's nice and cozy. I'm in a, in, a, in an office environment where there's an acupuncturist and chiropractor and, and ironically divorce attorneys. So I have in my mind kind of think of Groupon uh, potential here. That is completely a joke. Um, but uh, I really love where I'm at. And a couple of days ago, I'm in an early session. So I'm... Uh, you know, some mornings I'm seeing clients at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or every now and again, I'll see one at 5 a.m. because I really want to meet the client where they're at. I don't want these excuses for why people can't uh, come to therapy. And so I come out of the 7 a.m. session and I say goodbye to my client um, and a client. I really enjoy working with. And so we're, we're talking. Great to see you, you know, see you next week. And she leaves. And so I, I kind of head over to my desk and I, I think I probably pick up my phone. I look to see if there's a text or something. And and I turn back around, I think, oh, my gosh, she uh, she must have dropped her hair bow or hair tie or something like that. And so I go to walk over and grab it. And as I'm moving down toward it and I, I need to put this on my Instagram, I'll do that. There's a go to virtual couch on Instagram. But it's uh, I reach down to get the hair bow and the hair bow moves a little bit. And the hair bow is not a hair bow. It is a snake. Um, In my building and I again, I love my building and I hope this isn't a deterrent to go into therapy Um, I feel like I am in shock a tiny bit So there it is in my doorway The crazy part was that the woman and I were standing there in my doorway And uh, I don't know how she or I didn't step on it I wonder what that would have happened There's a tiny gap under my door now I kind of was thinking what if that guy would have been just crawling into my office while I was uh, while I was in session I mean, I think I would have lost my mind. I don't know how I would have processed that. But so I see this snake and my my next client, my 8am client was in the waiting room, which is right around the corner. And uh, she, I'm sure, hears me say goodbye. And, and again, part of the thing I love about my office has a has its own exit. So people don't have to bump into each other in the waiting room. And the next client comes walking around and, and she's got some momentum. And I'm like, whoa, hey, uh, snake, you know, look down there. And she's kind of like, whoa, you know, that's a snake. And then I realize the, the I'm here early None of the no one else is in the building. There's no divorce attorneys here. There's no acupuncturists here. There's no chiropractors. I don't know if a chiropractor has a special kind of skill to to grab a snake. I don't know. And I realized this. I got to do this. And my first thought was I was going to kick it. Um, And I don't think that's an effective way to remove a snake. So I instead I I just think, okay I got to get a cup. Well, then I look in my I've got a little thing full of uh, some snacks and cups and that sort of thing. And I've got these small solo cups. Why, why can't I get a big cup at this point? And, and I'm sure that was something where, oh, the small ones are about a buck cheaper. So at this point, I've got this cup. And I and I go down. I put the cup on the snake. I'm ready for this thing to just jump. And uh, my adrenaline is just pumping. And, and speaking of which, this is the fun stuff about... Uh, Just the things that I love about things I've read or research I've done. And there's a book that I absolutely love that I can't wait to do an episode on called The Body Keeps the Score. It's about trauma. And it talks about a visceral reaction, you know, that we actually have a part of our body called the viscera. And the visceral reaction, they give the example that if you come around a corner and there's a snake. You are jumping before you even recognize what that is. And how cool is the body that this viscera is, is almost like thinking ahead? You know, it's like preloading your emotions. And so you have this visceral response. You react. And then you go, wait a minute, it's a snake. And the point they make is that you could come around. It could be a shoelace. And, and you think... Uh, Oh, my gosh, it's a snake. And then you realize, oh, it's a shoelace. Well, this time I'm thinking it's a hair. It's a hair bow or whatever. No, no, it's a snake. So my fight or flight is is going. I realize that this time it's going and I put the cup down on the snake. Well, OK. and OK, I'm 49 years old. I'm approaching 50. But I cannot lie. The influence of my kids, society, whatever it was, was my first thought was. I got to I got to get this on our family Snapchat. So I did get my that's what I can post on Instagram. But I do have a two three second video of the snake. And so so I get the video. Um, then I then I go down with the cup and uh, and I put the cup down and he gets his little head out of the cup. And now in my mind, what is scarred into my brain is his extended neck and these his open mouth, gaping open mouth, these fangs and tongue. And if you do go see the picture, he's, I don't know, he's maybe five or six inches long, maybe 10 inches long, tiny little snake. It turns out he's a garter snake. So I don't even know if he has teeth. I mean, I think that they gum their prey. So, but in my mind now, it's this it's ferocious snake and he's just a mouth extended and ready to snap and bite. And then I realized I don't know what to do, you know, and uh, and so then I I kind of pull the cup off a little bit and I I kind of shove him into the back into line with the an envelope I had and I get the cup over him, I put the envelope under and then it's like you start to realize, I don't know, physics, engineering. But as I go to, you know, grab the top of the cup and then, then I'm trying to get the envelope, then I realize there's gaps and there's head goes out again. And at this point, I mean, I'm inside, I'm kind of freaking out, but I'm trying to project that I've got this handled to my client who's standing there. And eventually I do get the envelope picked up. I, I go put him right outside my back door. And uh, what does he do? He starts crawling back toward the place. So I grab the envelope and I flip him back again. And uh, and then he slithered away. And he, uh, I'm, I'm sure, lives happily ever after. And Now he's got quite a story to tell as well. But I don't know how he got in. Uh, again, I really like my office. I kind of looked. I don't think that there's uh, areas where he can get in. The doors are all kind of go to the ground from the outside in. But regardless, um, snake and uh, visceral reaction, fight or flight. And now... I've told a lot of clients, a lot of fun stories in session. And every time I open that door, I think there can be a snake, you know, and I don't think there ever will be again in the history of me doing therapy It took 15 years to get to the point where I had a snake waiting outside of my door. And I didn't even think about that. Maybe this guy wants uh, maybe he wants help. Maybe he needs a little bit of help with a, a relationship, and uh, and here it was his big chance. He's been working all the time to get into a building like this to see someone, and I didn't even give him the benefit of the doubt. So, um, but I, I just I don't know. I wanted to share that story. So let's get to today's topic. It is about. Um, I was listening to, and again, full disclosure. I mean, again, lots of podcasts out there. One of my favorites is one called The Hidden Brain, and they just did an episode, um, and it was talking about the influential mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm copying a little bit. I highly recommend you go listen to that episode, The Hidden Brain, and it's uh, um, the latest episode about the influential mind. And they, they had a guest on there named Tally Sherow, and uh, she's amazing. As I've gone and dug more um, data around her. Uh, just the, the work that she's done. She's a neurologist, um, a neuroscientist, and uh, and she has a uh, an institute called um, oh, what is it? You know, it's the Effective Brain Lab uh, at the University College in London. And and she's just really trying to, to discover what is the neuroscience behind influence. And so in the Hidden Brain podcast, this Tally Shereau, talks about her book called The Influential Mind. And you can get it on Amazon. I I have it already ordered, and I can't wait to read more. But I couldn't wait to just do an episode on this because I think there's some concepts that I I talk about in therapy a lot that I want to talk about for a second. Um, But I I found an article in uh, The Scientific American, and it's by a a guy named Gareth Cook. And so he talks to Tally Shero about her book, the Influential Mind. So understanding the influential mind. Gareth says, in a fake news world, the neuroscientist Tali Sharot explains what convinces people and what does not. So I am I am 100% um, reading this Gareth Cook article in The Scientific American where he interviews Tali Sharot about her book, The Influential Mind. So I want to be very clear on that. And then I want to react or comment on it because I think there's some pretty uh, important things here to talk about. So so he's, uh, he says uh, he asked Tali – why is it that providing evidence does not always prove uh, persuasive to people? And, and, I, and I think this is pretty fascinating. And I want you to think of this in terms of marriage therapists or couples or when they are talking to each other. Why is it that a couple then or a person, a spouse, tries to provide evidence and, and then they're frustrated why that doesn't persuade their spouse to change their behavior or to understand where they're coming from? And, uh, and so Tally says evidence tends to be very persuasive when it already fits your worldview, but less so when it doesn't agree with your perceived notion. So she says that this is because data is assessed in, what we, in light of what we already believe. And this is what cognitive scientists call priors, um, which you know prior thought, prior belief. And in fact, uh, that's a reasonable approach. For example, she says, if I were to tell you that I observed a pink elephant flying in the sky, then you would assume that I was lying or that I was delusional. And she said, as you should. On average, when you encounter a piece of data that contradicts what you believe with confidence about the world, that piece of data is, in fact, wrong. So and I think this is the part where if you break down a couple's relationship and uh, and I have couples where then a husband, let's go down that path, that he is going to share something that is important to him, his truth, his emotional bid, as we like to call it in therapy. He's going to get vulnerable. And there are times where then he shares that data and uh, and I and I always say out in the wild outside of my office without these EFT skills, he might share that data and his spouse just says, I don't buy it. And, and that's where a lot of arguments begin. So when somebody does decide, I, I got to get vulnerable, I have to really make my needs known because I'm kind of miserable or I just I really want to connect with my partner and they present data and their partner just says, I don't buy it, you know, and they and their the spouse, the husband in the situation can give all kinds of examples of, you know, here's where he's coming from. But I thought this was pretty key is that it, this article, what it kind of shed light on is that if if what he's telling his wife is, is a kind of against her worldview. And, and this is what I see as a marriage therapist often. So if somebody is saying, um, you know, the, the one that happens a lot is if one member in a relationship is a let's just say a yeller. And the other person in the relationship grew up in what, and this is exactly a term I heard early on in therapy, they said that they grew up in basically a library-like setting. So the yeller is going to say things like, I mean, you know, everybody yells and it's not a big deal. You yell and you get over with it and you get it over with. But the the wife, let's say, if she grew up in this library-like environment, that's that's so against kind of her worldview. It's, it's so hard for her to believe because that wasn't her experience. So... The husband can provide all kinds of data and and it's and he's trying to persuade or convince her that, no, it's normal. It's normal for people to yell at each other and then just move on. But in her world, that's not normal. And so I just I hope you can see why I thought that this is pretty significant, that if you encounter a piece of data, this is, again, what Tally Shiro says, that contradicts what you believe with confidence about the world, then that piece of data is, in fact, wrong. And so that's where I find a lot of couples then turn into this uh this tit-for-tat or this, you know, um, the blame game, those, those kind of uh, interactions. What I love about emotion, emotionally focused therapy is that one of the things that you kind of have to, to work with, you put into this framework, is if, if one of you, if the husband in the situation is, is saying, hey, you know, everybody fights, the hard part is that it goes against the worldview of the spouse, right? But we're, we're saying in this uh, couples environment, this EFT world, If that is his view, if that's where he's coming from, here's where the empathy from the wife needs to come into play, then then it's somewhat understandable of why he's frustrated, of why then he's thinking, I don't get it. You know, everybody yells. That's like what I grew up with. So that's why the first step in an EFT conversation, if the husband says that everybody yells, then the wife. Now we kind of get a little more sense of it's it goes against her. It contradicts what she believes with confidence about the world. Then, then we can understand the, why that's going to be difficult for her to, to try to accept that he's not just trying to um, tell her she's crazy, you know? So so that doesn't mean, though, that she then has to get yelled at. That That's a big component here, too. But all that means is to get away from then what she believes or from her worldview, to have empathy, to understand that, okay, I guess I can kind of see that if he grew up and yelling was acceptable, then it must be frustrating for him when he yells and then tells me that, he didn't mean it that I still have a reaction now. And this is now the more I'm given this example, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it because I, I my wife and I, I'm, I promise you, we don't yell at each other. I really don't feel like that's productive. I feel like that is something that can be learned to overcome. So let me just go on the record and say that, because then the, the truth that the wife can share at that point after trying to understand that, you know, the, the husband grew up and it was normal to yell. Then here comes her truth. It's the OK, I can understand you. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. My worldview, my truth, my emotional bid back is that I grew up in a home where it was almost library-like setting. So when people raise their voices, you knew something was wrong. So when people raise their voices in my home, now all of a sudden my cortisol level raises, my stress hormone goes up, I go into fight or flight mode. And so I feel like this is a good example of just from an awareness standpoint how a couple can understand, aha, maybe this is why we we have a, a hard time communicating when he kind of immediately goes to yelling and she then withdraws. I feel like given this example, and you can tell that uh, this is my reaction uh, type of uh, uh, comment here um, for this podcast. Uh, I, this wasn't a written down example is that now if I had that couple in my office, I'm not going to say, okay, therefore wife, whenever he yells, you need to understand. No, with this awareness, this is one of those where I feel like, all right, let's, let's kind of stack these truths up. He can understand that maybe this is why he goes to yelling, but, but, you know, when he hears that for her, her, her cortisol level raises, her stress hormone goes up, then I hope I want that to be the point where with both people kind of getting that out on the table, that we understand that then the, the yelling, I would love for him to work on that. I would love for him to if he's starting to get amped up, the wife be able to say, hey, remember, this is that thing where when I hear yelling, I kind of start to go into fight or flight mode and the guy saying, thank you. Thank you. I need you know, that, that. Thanks for bringing that to my awareness. I'm going to kind of calm myself down. And that's where a healthy couple's relationship occurs, where it is not healthy is when the guy says, look, I told you that when I'm yelling, I don't mean it. If the wife's saying, yeah, but when you yell, you know, I go into fight or flight mode that. That's not where we stay or we're not trying to tell the wife then just take it. No, we're not. We don't want people in fight or flight mode. We don't want the cortisol levels raising. Um, But I, I got off on a bit of a tangent there. So she says, though. There is, however, one situation in which people embrace new information, even if it contradicts what they already believe, and that's when the new information is exactly what you want to hear, which I think that's fascinating. So she said, for example, back in August of 2016, Ryan McKay and Ben Tappan asked 900 U.S. citizens to indicate who they thought would win the presidential election. The researchers also asked people who they wanted to win. So in this, uh, in this study, half wanted Trump to win, half wanted uh, Clinton. Uh, Clinton. Clinton to win. The majority of both Trump supporters and Clinton supporters believed that Clinton would win. So see the difference. Um, Half wanted Trump to win, half wanted Clinton to win. But the majority of both felt that Clinton would win. So then new pools were presented predicting a Trump victory. And then everybody was asked again to indicate who they believed would win. So did the new pools alter expectation of what was to unfold? It did. But mostly it affected the Trump supporters who were elated by the new information. The Clinton supporters altered their prediction only a tiny bit, and many chose to ignore the data altogether. So the point being that when we do want to hear information, they call that this is I was I was starting to do a whole episode on confirmation bias. When when we hear what we want to hear, guess what? We'll believe it. We like to hear that. So our immediate reaction when we receive information we don't want to hear, whether it's related to politics or doctor warnings, a doctor warning us of the dangers of drinking. um, This is Italian in the the article, um, a negative feedback about ourselves, any of these things that we hear, it's to try and rationalize it away, to discount it or ignore it altogether. And again, I think that comes in very important when we go into this couple's mentality of, you know, we want to hear what our partner has to say. But if it doesn't fit in with what we want to hear. Or if it doesn't align with our worldview, then we try to typically rationalize it away, discount it, or ignore it altogether. I hope you kind of see where we're getting here. So how do we break through this resistance is, uh, is what Garrett, the author, asked Talia. And she says when it comes to altering how you respond to information, awareness can help. And I love this. I talk about awareness all the time in sessions. When you find yourself dismissing negative feedback or convincing yourself that your critics don't know what they're talking about, she says take a pause and reevaluate. Could there be merit in the negative information and can you use it to improve? And this is gold. In the therapy room, when someone finally hits that awareness, when they kind of say, all right, maybe I am being reactionary. Maybe I'm pointing the finger back at somebody else. Can I sit in here and just kind of absorb the data? Can I have empathy for the person who's sharing the data with me? And because, and you know, at the end of the day, um, I can believe it. I cannot believe it. But is it is it a bad thing to kind of try to hear and absorb the data? Um, She says, when it comes to getting your message across to others, consider if you can reframe the information that you provide to highlight the possibility of progress, not decline. She said, to be clear, it doesn't mean sugarcoating what you have to say. If, for example, you need to critique someone's work, don't soften the critique. Um, She says, so convey the problem clearly. However, the existing problem can be communicated in either terms of what needs to be corrected in order to produce good work or in terms of incompetence. And the first approach will induce less resistance and be more effective. So this is that, you know, what's the phrase? You get more flies with honey uh, or sugar. I don't know. Instead of something else, vinegar, maybe that's it. I, I should have looked that one up. But the point being that that reframing toward the positive is a an evidence based method that is effective, especially in trying to to bring awareness, which then can eventually drive change. So uh, the author, Gareth said it must be interesting to be involved in this kind of work in a time when there's so much concern about the state of our public debate. He said, I wonder what perspective you have on it. And she says, I'm concerned about the negative effects of all social media. Uh, this is a part I really appreciated. She said, all we know about human bias, conformity, over overconfidence, and so on, suggests that the abundance of information and opinions on the web will result in misinformation or false b- beliefs and polarization. And she said, we already see this happening. We can now find information online to support any view or opinion we wish and that makes us more confident in our opinions and more resistant to change. That, that's what I think is, is uh, you know, one of the I guess one of the negatives of when there is so much data out there. And I love data. I really love data. But that's why I loved this concept of hearing about this. You know, the influential mind is that if we only find ourselves continually going toward the data that backs up what we want to hear, then now we've got this science that kind of shows it's just going to continue to this, this confirmation bias. We're just going to continue to kind of dig in our heels in our beliefs and our belief system and not be willing to hear others, not be as empathetic. And I think that bleeds through into relationships, and in, in which I see in therapy on a regular basis. I love this one. She says, uh, in one study, Andreas Kappas and I, uh, so uh, Talia, um, together with others, asked volunteers to come into the lab in pairs and simultaneously scanned their brains and two MRI scanners while they were making decisions together. I often talk about uh, in therapy, I, I say, man, if, if we could just both have you know, both of you had these little functional brain scans uh, helmets on and you were talking and you saw the difference in when you are when you are attacking each other and how the brain does go into fight or flight mode, how the rational part of the brain kind of takes a backseat, how the reptilian uh, brain kind of kicks in. Um, If you could watch that happen versus when somebody says, man, tell me more about that. I I didn't really realize that was the case. What was that like for you that you then in that scenario? In in the second scenario, you watch the synapses of the brain open and these little neural pathways like everything kind of lights up in the brain and because the person feels heard. And and the difference in being heard versus shutting down is not just, um, you know, the, the opposite, the side of the coin. No, it's an exponentially more productive way to communicate. And when that becomes the norm in a couple's relationship. When you know – I can go to my partner. I can throw out anything out there because they're going to hear me. You just – it just – it grows. I mean it just grows exponentially, the couple's uh, communication, which then leads to a a more secure connection, which leads to a healthier, happier relationship. So she said that uh, when – okay, she said we found that when a duo agreed, each person's brain activity reflected precise encoding of the other's opinions. How fascinating is that? So you can see in a brain scan that when people are on the same page – There is literally precise encoding of each other's opinions. She said as a consequence, when two people agreed, their confidence in their decision grew significantly. However, when they disagreed, their brain became less sensitive to the information presented by the other person. In fact, it looked like the brain, metaphorically speaking, was shutting down. So when you feel disconnected with your partner or you feel like you're not being heard or you feel like you're not in agreement, she said this is what's happening. Your brain is, metaphorically speaking, shutting down. So she says this is what's happening online. People respond to others that agree with them, and they dismiss those who do not. And sometimes, she says viciously, and the result is escalation. So um, the author asked, do you have any suggestions for what we can do to improve things? She said in general, to protect us online from things like fake news, trolling, offensive messages, um, she's suggesting more regulation. She's suggesting laws and regulations to catch up with the times and penalties needed to be put in place to deter people from such behavior. Um, Because she's saying that today it is legally permitted to use somebody else's photo on social media as your profile photo, post racist comments, create the impression that the person photographed is behind the comments. And she said it's legally permitted to leave offensive sexual comments in discussion forums and social media sites. And and her suggestion is websites needing to take responsibility and make changes. And and I will say, you know, um, I've processed a lot with people who have – it's the phrase catfishing, um, you know, they're catfished or they where they people just uh, take on other people's personalities or they misrepresent themselves to others. And, uh, and and it is hard. People can do that via an attack or people can also um, have a fake relationship with somebody and really lead them along. I've worked with both of those scenarios in my office. But she said, as a side note, science suggests that the threat of a penalty is especially effective in deterring people from acting. Such as deterring people from posting an offensive comment, while rewards are better for motivating action. And, and for example, motivating people to post a comment. And uh, and she's got a that I want to talk about that next. But so she said, in terms of controlling your own reactions, it's a good practice to slow down when using platforms like Twitter to consciously reflect on our reactions. She said that science has shown that, and this is really cool. Science has shown that waiting just a couple of minutes before making judgments reduces the likelihood that they will be based solely on instinct. And that's another plug for a concept of mindfulness, a daily mindfulness practice um it really does it's teaching you to to put a little space between um between the 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 thought and the action it's teaching you to kind of have a pause to gather yourself to lower the heart rate to turn to your breathing and there's so many good good benefits of mindfulness but that's one of them to just be able to pause kind of gather yourself before reacting Um, okay so if and here's where i want to go to the the podcast the hidden brain podcast and now uh, the podcast interview with um, with uh, Talia Shero and our Tally Shero, because this is where I think that uh, I love this research. So she gives an example. Um, says, so so the interviewer in Hidden Brain says, so if somebody holds a belief very strongly, but it's a false belief, then it's really hard to change it with data. And so that if the data and the facts don't work, you know, how do you get people to buy the truth? And, and, he, and he proposes that in one sense, and we see this a lot, that people do try scaring um, the truth into people. So and, and the, the interviewer said the vast majority of Americans today don't feel safe. And, um, and, and so he said that the, the, this could be the great Trojan horse of all time that politicians use fear to get us to vote. TV programs use fear to get us to keep watching. Public health officials use fear to get us to quit smoking. So and the, uh, the interview is uh, Shankar uh, Verdantam, and he's he does an amazing job on uh, the hidden brain. But he said, I asked Tally whether fear might be an effective way to persuade people to change their minds and maybe even your behavior. So she said fear works in two situations. It works when people are are you know, already stressed out. And it works when what you're trying to do is get someone to not do something in an action. For example, if you try to get someone not to vaccinate their kids, then fear might work. Um, She said, if you know that there's like an apple that looks bad, she said, you don't eat it. You know that that's the thing where fear comes into play. She said, fear is actually not a good motivator for inducing action. Hope is a much better motivator. And, and, and so this is where I feel like this comes into the therapy, um, the therapy concept or construct as well. She said, on average, for motivating action, uh, he, the, he said, you talk about a study in your book where a hospital managed to get its workers to practice hand hygiene, to get staff members to wash their hands regularly. And I have to tell you, before I found the transcript of this episode to pull this data in from, I thought I could just do a quick Google search on hand hygiene studies and hospitals. And and oh, my goodness, um, that was about a 15 to 20 minute um, rabbit hole that I just read. I was reading research after research. And uh, not realizing that that's something that hospitals really have to stay on top of to encourage people to to wash their hands. And there's a lot of amazing uh, data out there that shows ways to get um, the uh, the hospital staff to wash their hands up over 90 percent of the time. But uh, but check this study out. This is pretty wild and a couple of different reasons. So she said on average. Okay. um, so where to go? All right. On average, for motivating action, you talk about one study in your book where a hospital managed to get its workers to practice hand hygiene to get staff members to wash their hands regularly. uh, He said, but it turned out the most effective training um, was, well, let let me get into the study. It was something else. So on a hospital on the East Coast, a camera was installed to see how often medical staff actually sanitized their hands before and after entering a patient's room. And the medical staff knew that the camera was installed, and yet only one in 10 medical staff. Um, ended up washing their hands before after entering a patient's room. So 10%. So then an intervention was introduced. There was an electronic board that was put above each door and it gave the medical staff in real time positive feedback. It showed them the percentage of medical staff that washed their hands in the current shift and the weekly rate as well. So anytime a medical staff would wash their hands, the numbers would immediately go up and there would be a positive feedback saying, you know, well done. Thanks for taking the time. You're making a difference. Good job. And that affected the likelihood of people washing their hands significantly. It went up from the 10% to over 90% and it stayed there instead of using the normal approaches of fear or of, you know, it's a fear-based motivator. So instead of saying you have to wash your hands or else you're going to spread disease, basically warning them of all the bad things that can happen in the future, um, that actually results in inaction. They gave them a positive feedback loop and the positive feedback loop resulted in a significant increase in, in change of behavior. So what do we learn today? Um, we've learned about the power of influence. We've learned about the influential, understanding the influential mind. And, and that I hope that, you know, the takeaway here is when you are hearing something from your partner to kind of step back and, and, and just kind of try to hear them. I mean, it goes back to that, um, seek first to understand before being understood Stephen Covey principle but, but in doing so check in with yourself and say okay why is it what I'm hearing why is it so hard for me to, to understand or to, to have empathy for and is it because it goes pretty far against my worldview? Um, if it, you know, is it, is it inconsistent with the way that I view the world? And again, I'm not trying to say we need to change your worldview, but hopefully this, this concept helps in helping you have empathy for the person in front of you to, to at least before we go into fight or flight mode, before we go into like reactionary brain mode, can can we kind of take a moment, take a pause and try to just understand more about where the person's coming from? Um, that, that providing evidence doesn't always prove per- persuasive to people, again, especially if it kind of goes against their their worldview. And that is, again, a, I think that's a recipe for if we implement this correctly for empathy to tell me more, to want to hear more. And it, again, it doesn't mean that then you have to give in, but people want to be heard. So first hear where someone's coming from. And then be able to share what your worldview is or where you're coming from. And, uh, and, and I think that it's also interesting, um, the concepts that we talked about a little bit around the negative effects of social media and human bias. And this whole concept of confirmation bias where it, we want to believe the things that we want to believe. So when we hear things that go in line with what we believe, we just jump on them. And so in, in, in the social media culture, oftentimes that's what we're doing is we're just inundating ourselves with the, the same opinions over and over and over to validate our opinion. And, and I think part of this is, is, a, is a fear that, okay, what if I do kind of uh, listen to some of the other data out there? What if, what if I change? You know, what if, and if I change, then here comes those attachment or abandonment issues. If I change my worldview, then uh, are the people around me going to still care about me? Is it still going to be a safe place for me to talk about my, you know, what I'm feeling? And so I understand that. But so um, just being able to kind of, in, in a perfect world, to kind of take a look at, at additional data and uh, even just to be more informed, and, you know, in, in general, also learning how to take that pause before we react. And then the final takeaway that I really appreciate is just this positive feedback loop that that it is important. If we do want to nurture change is, is this is why I love this nurtured heart approach. Go find some episodes that I've, I've done on the nurtured heart approach. It's a parenting model, but it works again. One of these that kind of works in life of where it is a it's a building inner wealth, strength based, acknowledging the positives And uh, and because that that is what really motivates change. All right. Hey, thanks for uh, taking the time to join me on the virtual couch. And I will see you um, on the next episode. Have a great week. So if you've been a longtime listener to the virtual couch, you've heard me do some ads for some partners that I have truly been passionate about. But you might have also noticed that it's been a little while since I've talked about those partners, and all of them are wonderful companies. But here's kind of a little behind the scenes from the podcast world. So once you hit a certain number of downloads, you start getting approached by a lot of people to advertise. So at that point, I kind of—I uh, guess I sort of—pump uh, the brakes, as the kids say. They—they they actually probably don't say that anymore. But I decided to hold off on advertisers and try to send folks to my website. Um, maybe notice noticed dot com, going to Instagram, Virtual Couch, that sort of thing. And I promised I would keep people posted on my programs, like The Path Back, or some new programs that were coming up on happiness and marriage, and a lot of good things, and uh, working on all of those things. And and but I again, not really turning to the podcast uh, advertisers. But but then I was approached by a sponsor pretty recently that honestly I didn't know if I would ever come on their radar, but I did, and that's uh, the folks at betterhelp.com. dot com. That's Better H E L P dot com. So BetterHelp.com is the world's largest e-counseling program, and their mission is to make professional counseling accessible and affordable and convenient, and so that anybody who struggles with life's challenges, which I really feel like is all of us, can get help anytime, anywhere. And so let me start getting this message dug deep into those neuropathways. Um, BetterHelp.com, and again, it's uh, H-E-L-P. It's not Better Health. It's better Help. So BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash virtualcouch. So I I think you can kind of see why this would be so important from my angle. I am a therapist. Um, I'm not a professional podcaster. Uh, I see a full load of clients weekly, every week. And here's what I didn't see coming, if I'm being completely honest. The larger the podcast has grown, the more feedback I get, and I love it. I, I really do, but the feedback isn't always, hey, I love the show, or here's an idea for an episode. I get emails literally, I can honestly say this literally daily, from people who who really want to know more about therapy, who have tried therapists and maybe not felt a fit, or they're a fa- I've got people that are afraid to try therapy, or afraid that they'll run into somebody they know in the waiting room, or they... You know, they want a way to just kind of ease into therapy or they want me to just answer their questions. They even want to pay me for emails. Uh, Why can't they just text their therapist or email their therapist or, you know, will all therapists do video appointments? And these are the things I keep getting over and over again. So betterhelp.com is bringing these services to life. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's not coaching and not saying anything negative about coaching, but these are all professional counselors, professional licensed therapists done securely online. I think they have over 4,000 therapists um, on their network. So so here's a little bit more about BetterHelp.com. Uh, and again, it's BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch. Please remember that. Um, but there's a broad range of expertise, which, and I've been under the uh, under the hood, behind the scenes, um, which has been just fascinating to see. I mean, they have hundreds of forms. Uh, that, I mean, not just forms, but the uh, things that your therapist can send you um, worksheets and homework and uh, just assessment tools. And so they have a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which might not be locally available in many areas. Or, you know, this service is available for clients worldwide. I get a lot of military people who are um, stationed all over the world that are looking for good therapists. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your, to your therapist. Y- you will get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit uh, in the waiting rooms if you're worried about that. Kind of with traditional therapy. Now, to be fair, my waiting room is fantastic, a fireplace, a TV, um, all this wonderful stuff, but I know that that's not the case all the time. Um, BetterHelp.com will help you assess your needs. They'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and there's some assessment tools that will kind of point you in that direction. And then you can start communicating with somebody in under 24 hours. That's again, Um, I've, I've had a very, been blessed with a nice busy practice and, uh, you know, you can have a wait list. Um, sometimes it can take a while to get into a therapist, um, betterhelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And I really feel like their assessment tools alone, as I've kind of dug into that have been pretty impressive. Uh, Makes me realize that, you know, they really are trying to funnel this into the right fit for you. A um, little bit more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. And those are the things, honestly, I never knew. I would hear the BetterHelp.com ads, and I really wondered what the the count what the uh, the pricing was. And the financial aid part, I had no idea. But, uh, I mean, BetterHelp likes to say that they want you to start living a a happier life today. So visit their website, and you can read their testimonials. They're posted there daily, um, and I'll probably read some of those down the road. But betterhelp.com slash reviews. And, again, visit betterhelp.com, and that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash virtual couch. And you can join. It's over 500,000 people right now that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. So there is a, there's a special offer uh, that I have. It's for the virtual couch listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, please. Um, You know, if you have questions, uh, go there, uh, check it out, read the reviews, but go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going all in here. Um, I have my own account. I'm going to choose my therapist and uh, I'm going to talk to him about what it's like to get a dozen emails a day, every day, and want to be able to help everybody. Want to be able to help the world. So I hope that I've made it clear in my episodes that, first off, I am not a replacement for professional counseling. Uh, my goal is to bring awareness to the things that I believe can help. You can look for people that uh, know things about the nurtured heart or about emotionally focused therapy or about acceptance and commitment therapy. I wish I would have said those things earlier in the in this ad. Um, But I hope that I always convey the message to seek help through professional counseling. If you are an in-person person, person, then go find somebody in your area. You bet. If you want to try online counseling, then I recommend giving BetterHelp.com. Again, BetterHelp.com slash Virtual Couch a try. So please go visit BetterHelp.com slash Virtual Couch. And if you use that link, you'll get 10% off your first month of services. Um, Here is to better mental health for all of us. OxBus.